This is Woman Being. Good morning, afternoon, or good night, depending on where you are in the world. Ooh. This morning, we're joined by Amaya Arons in Spain. She is the CEO of Ruby Cup, and we are here to talk about periods, period poverty, menstrual cups, and all things menstruation with yes. her. We're so stoked. This has been like a year in the making. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so, Amaya, thank you so much for being here. No, thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> and we will hear more from Amaya just in a minute. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So before we really begin, I think we've, we were all excited to see uh, that The Last of Us featured <laughs> a menstrual cup, and they're famous now. There's yeah. a little cameo. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Some so of the biggest exciting. stars in the world holding a menstrual cup on yeah. screen. So That's huge. So cool. So cool. And I also very it. practical for an apocalypse. Super for a zombie practical. apocalypse. <laughs> a menstrual cup would be the way to go. Which is a good thing. You know, zombie apocalypse happens, Ruby Cup has got you covered, which yes. is, you know, your go to for a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Here's what I want to know, though. What brand of menstrual cup was it? I'm really I couldn't curious. tell. Ooh. I couldn't tell from the picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Anyways, that was fun. It's, it's good for all <laughs> menstrual cup brands. Who made that call? You know? Like, who made that call? Someone really smart. Some there really great writer. There was a woman on that writing team yes. that made that call, yes. which I think is brilliant. I yeah. mean, I think someone clearly thought, what would I do with my period if there was a zombie apocalypse and there yeah. were, I need a menstrual cup? Clearly. Yeah. It mm-hmm. has to be there. Yeah. Top tip. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's like literally 100%. the smartest thing for you to possibly have. It's yeah. true. Um, Even for non-zombie apocalypse times, yeah. well, I think it's the smartest true. thing you could have. For regular <laughs> life, but <laughs> extra. Yeah. Can be trips. Oh, <laughs> yes. 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 Apocalyptic, yeah. yes. Going to the beach. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Going to work. Living your life. Living your life. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I'm a big fan of menstrual cups. Um, I was converted during the pandemic. Um, <laughs> I finally got up the bravery to try it out since I was at home and working from home. Yeah. And um, ever since then, I've been a big fan and big yeah. advocate. But in other news, Spain is now the first country to offer paid menstrual leave to women, which sounds great. As mm-hmm. someone who works in the field of menstrual care, Amaya, what do you think about this change? What are the implications? I think it's good news. I think uh, to have periods and period pain on the front page of all papers is always good news. Yeah, I think it gives period-related issues visibility. It gives employees protection. But if you have to be careful here, what we don't want is end up in a situation where we think, oh, menstruation, condition, every person with periods I hire asking for leave every month. No. Mm-hmm. Like the immense majority of people that menstruate can manage their periods every month and are able to just, you know, go to work and do sports and do yoga and hang out with friends. Um, Some people experience more pain and some people really struggle because they may have endometriosis, acute pain, acute PMS. And these are things that should just, in a way, they should just be like regular health, 
leave sick if you're not well you sure. don't work in a way sure. um, but at the same time I do think it's important to give these issues visibility as long as we don't end up taking a step back in terms of equality where we end up seeing um, menstruation and people that menstruate as a liability at work Mm. Right. You know, oh, that's... I'm going to hire a woman. Is she going to take three days off every month? Mm. That's not what we want. Mm. Totally. So, what I think will be great if if we had menstrual leave, obviously, like migraine leave, depression leave, I broke my leg leave. All that <laughs> has to be covered. But I think um, I think we have to come to terms to the fact that humans, employees. We, we're not robots. We don't have the same yeah. energy level, focus, concentration, creativity, nine to five, Monday to Friday, every weekday of the month. So for yeah. example, you, you may find that someone that menstruates feels a bit lower in energy some days a month, maybe PMS, maybe period. But during the ovulation, they are like rockets. So mm. maybe give people support to manage their work like adults in a way that is like aligned and organic with their lives instead of trying to make everyone work in the same way every day of the month. So tell people, okay, fine, like maybe a few days a month you want to work from home or you are not well enough to work for whatever reason. But also mm -hmm. encourage people to say, I mean, because we talk about periods, but it could be you could have seasonal migraines or you yeah. could have family obligations that fluctuate. If you are co-parenting, if you are looking... Um, after an ill parent with your siblings, there might be sometimes a month, a year, where your personal life or your body or your health is going to have a bigger demand on you. So mm -hmm. let's all support each other and stop pretending that we can all work the same every day. No man, mm -hmm. no woman, no one can do that. So let's be honest and have conversations in the workplace about how to have a work culture that supports every employee giving or doing their best and feeling their best. Mm. And I don't think this is utopia. It's about being honest and trusting employees and, and the, your team and also treating them like adults. Like, for example, another thing is I am, many people have an energy search in the morning. I am that person. 6 to 11, mm. I produce my best work. Why would anyone want me to be at work 9 to 5 and miss three hours or that amazing five hour slot. So yeah. I, th I think that the more you make it possible for people to work in a way that works with their bodies, their health and their life circumstances, it's just good for everyone. So I think it's good to have paid menstrual leave. I should, I think that any, anything that happens to you that requires that you need to rest or work from home or, or take a few time a few days off is good but let's not take a steps back in terms of equality let's not make menstruation a dirty word in the workplace yeah. for a different reason you know what mm -hmm. i mean yeah. yeah it's almost like i love that you brought up like this is just a health thing mm -hmm. so like even differentiating it from other pto and other like that is unnecessary like sure. why 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 not instead just increase health paid time off for everybody yeah mm. and destigmatize taking time off because of your period yes, yes. Yeah. yeah i mean i take time off for my period now right like if i needed to right mm -hmm. but i just don't tell anyone i just like, say oh i'm sick i say i'm taking a sick day you yeah. know and so being able to maintain that like 
privacy, but also like increasing the amount accessible to people. I agree because maybe you don't want to tell your colleagues or your or your uh, boss that you need leave because of your period specifically. I mean, it could be many reasons why you don't want to say specifically why. Um, a very good friend of mine, she's, she's a doctor, um, a GP uh, here in Barcelona, and she was telling me, like, I, I give loads of leave. I sign off loads of leave for people with acute period pain, mm. but you understand that it's maybe they don't want to say why. They, they just get a letter at work saying so, so cannot come on these days. So... Uh, no, I think it's good to talk about it. I think, but I think it has to be. I think this is going to be very effective within a wider culture where we accept that every single person, because of the sex, their gender, their where they are neurodivergent or not or whatever, they're going to have different needs. Mm-hmm. And pretend that that's not the case is is not so smart or humane, really. So. In a way, I think it's cool when you sit on the front page and all these conversations. No, like I remember someone saying, "But how do you know they're really struggling?" And it's like, "Come on, if Peter says he cannot come to work with some migraine, would you all then be questioning if he's making it up?" So yeah. it just sparked many conversations about. I think it made many people talk about periods and ask questions in a way that it didn't before. So in that way, it's positive. It's a good thing. It just needs to be a bit more holistic. And be very careful with this. This is going to set young women back. It shouldn't, but we all know what has happened to women traditionally when applying for jobs when you are 32. Mm -hmm. I say 32 as an example, and you get all this, oh, do you have a partner? Children. And Mm -hmm. they just thinking, oh, is a young woman going to be taking time off, becoming a mom? It's already this thing that... If a guy, a man becomes a dad, he's seen as an asset because now he has a family, he has to work hard to support them and he won't be messing around. Whereas a woman is going to be flaky because she's going to be thinking about the kids. Like these mm-hmm. kind of things take so long to, to, to dismantle this prejudice at work that we have to be careful to not make it worse. But yeah, I, I'm positive about it. I feel positive about it. I just think it has to be like rounded. Yeah. Mm. I think it's overall like a good move, but it's yeah. nuanced and complicated and all those things. Totally. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But anyways, this is all wonderful. In latest news, we've got Spain adding paid menstrual leave. We've got The Last of Us <laughs> with the little feature on the, uh, with the menstrual cup. Um, let's get into more about you and more about Ruby Cup. Can you tell us a little bit about Ruby Cup and how it started and when you became involved? Sure. So uh, the three founders, um, Veronica, Maxi, and Julie, they met at university at the Copenhagen Business School. And the mm-hmm. three of them were studying around sustainable business, just mm-hmm. different areas of sustainable business. So I think it was Maxi first that she got a menstrual cup and she was like, this is amazing. And I think she gave that one to Julie and Julie to Veronica. And there were the three of them using the cup and being like, wow, this is so much better. It's comfier and saving money. Why do I know not more about this? You know, and then this linked to their studies. They started wondering how people with periods in lower income settings manage their menstruation, how they get, what do they get, how they can afford it, how often, how it works. So they, I think they emailed a number of organizations and NGOs asking, is this an issue? Like what happens yeah. in, in, 
parts of the world where people are living on one dollar a day mm. and so on. And basically they got a huge response telling them this is a massive issue. Mm. Um, girls and women cannot access pads or tampons. Girls miss school. Uh, there is some studies that point to the to the incidence of young girls sleeping with guys in exchange of pads. Mm-hmm. So that wow, this is this is huge. So they decided to try and offer menstrual caps as an alternative to the traditional methods that had been used to try and ameliorate this problem. So they they found a little study that had been done in Nairobi, in in Kenya, where it seemed that the response of uh, women living in some informal settlements in the city, that these women were open to using the cup. And, you know, also uh, people speak English in Kenya. So, yes, everything pointed out it was a good place to start. So, basically, uh, they, this, was going to, this was going to be, I think, their master's project. Mm-hmm. And it ended up becoming the company. Then they applied for a bunch of grants. They got some investors involved. And basically, they upped six and they moved to Nairobi, the three of them. And uh, they designed Ruby Cup, which, well, I'm a bit biased, but I do think it's a very easy to use cup. There are mm-hmm. many different cups in the market. I think there's great quality in general. But I think when they designed Ruby Cup, it was done very in a very smart way. So a 13-year-old girl in rural Kenya, using a latrine in the dark, could insert, remove, empty her cup. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. they really succeeded at that. And then, well, they were in Kenya, they got the first uh, batch of ruby cups. And um, and then it was, that was they moved in 2011, in the autumn, I believe. And I moved to Nairobi in 2012 from London because of my husband's job. So I moved to Nairobi and I had been working really hard in London and traveling a lot. And I was so looking forward to um, being a spouse and doing nothing by, you know, sun myself in the pool every day. But I think I got there on a Sunday and on a Thursday I went to a house party and I met Maxi, Veronica and Julie. And they told me about this idea, which I had never encountered before, which was that we're not an NGO, we're not a charity, we just believe that you can do well by doing good. Mm. We're going to sell this product, which is useful, is good for the environment, is high quality, many people with peers love using it, and through that, we are going to raise funds to make the product available, the same product available to people that need it, that they can't access access safe period products. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I love the product. I love the idea of having a business that gives back to the community. I am a massive feminist. So for me, it was like, and I kind of like, please beg them for a job there and then. <laughs> and they were like, we don't have money to pay. You know, so I don't care. I'll work for free. <laughs> so I, they allowed me to, to tag along for the adventure. And then eventually I, I got offered like a paid job <laughs> um, with them. And I was based in Nairobi 
with RubyCup um, from 2012 to 2015. And then by 2015, two of the founders moved on to other ventures, and it was Julie and myself. And Julie, who is Danish, she wanted to open our our uh, European office in Barcelona, where I had been wanting to move to for like a decade, but things never aligned. Mm. So I just came with her and we set up the office. And after a couple of years, my my husband also followed. And well, the rest is history. I've been yeah. with Rubica for 10 years now. And um, many things have happened. Everything changes. But I think our core, it has not changed. We still mm-hmm. believe that you can have good products that are good for the user. They're good for the environment. And they should be made available for everyone. And that product, that program can carry so many positive side effects in terms of opening conversations, um, destroying taboos, that we, we are really committed to that value. Wow. Wow. And now, I mean, hundreds of thousands of cups later, what's the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> you guys have done so much. Yeah. Yeah. And here um, you are. Yeah, we, I think we, it was since 2012 when I joined that we implemented the buy one, give one mm. for each cup we sell. Mm. Since 2012, for each cup sold, we donate another one to a person that needs it. So I think now our donations come up to 145,000 cups donated. Wow. That like makes me teary eyed. Like yeah. that's so, so cool. And getting that, like, I mean, I, people might remember, but that was we. You were our first charitable initiative. We got to partner with you guys like two Christmases ago, and yeah. we like matched people's purchases. And then you guys were doing a buy one give two, so people were donating three menstrual cups for purchasing one. Yeah. And it's like it's just it makes me giddy inside <laughs> still to this day. Yeah getting to help support and like what you guys have done is truly phenomenal definitely i mean likewise your support has been fantastic i mean but what you, what you say is like i don't know i've been um i still deliver um distribution sessions in spain i mean there is a lot of period poverty in spain in the uk there's something quite mm-hmm. It's been very striking to me, you know, because we were working out in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Nepal, yeah. and so on. And then I think it was like three or four years ago, like some teachers in in London, in the UK, in London, they were contacting us saying that, look, many of my students are saying they don't have money for pads. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, so as a matter of course, we just have a few. As teachers from our own pocket, we buy pads for these students. Um, but it's not sustainable because a they are dependent on us. They are dependent on coming to a school. Uh, it's not great for the environment. So we started running um, programs uh, in schools in in London as well. But I, I guess what I wanted to say is that I've I've been you know I've been in Uganda and Kenya and Spain and and the UK in these distributions, and it is so amazing to see how that piece of independence mm-hmm. can change things for the better like yeah. imagine every month you have your period and every month you are worrying who is going to buy me pass you going to be my teachers you going to be my mom i won't have any money um you know like how stressful and especially mm-hmm. for these 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 
guys are like teenagers that your body's going through a million changes and your hormones are crazy and you are more like socially awkward or <laughs> uber self-aware than ever to have yeah. to worry about that and then you know just give someone a cup and then mm-hmm. they are the owners of their own menstrual destiny for the next 10 years mm-hmm. the change in that is it's it's outstanding i mean i'm, I'm so proud of what we do in that respect mm-hmm. I love the way you said that. They're the owners of their menstrual destiny for the next 10 years. So I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit of, I don't know if it's your personal philosophy or Ruby Cup's mission Mm -hmm. for everyone to have a dignified period. That is something that circled in my mind and still is Mm -hmm. circling in my mind since our discovery call several weeks ago. I want to start by saying I have full respect for the people that decide to free bleed, to mm-hmm. say, this is my period, I'm going to free bleed. And, you know, mm-hmm. I also met some people that they explained to me they could control their pelvic muscles and their period and they could just hold it until they went to the bathroom and then they'll release the blood. What? what? I know, I was <laughs> like, what? Superpower. But I had heard of this. Yeah. My mind is blown. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even so know that was a possibility. I was, too, I was too. And this woman was telling me she had been doing this. I met her in person at a. We were distributing uh, cups for uh, in a shelter for women that were vulnerable to becoming homeless. Uh-huh. So, uh, and, and the woman that was running the place, she was telling me, like, oh, yeah, like, for 20 years, I was just doing the whole method. I was like, what? Yeah. Basically holding her. Are those the same kind of women that like orgasm when they give birth? Yeah. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> that sounds like a massive correlation. Yeah. Probably they are. They, are, yeah, yeah. they just but have I mean, all I'll, control. <laughs> I'll, I'll argue that most of us want to go about our lives feeling dry and clean. Mm-hmm. And basically having a period doesn't tail bleeding through your vagina. And some people bleed a lot, a lot, and they they don't want to go around feeling damp and having not clean clothes. So I think it is is a question of dignity to give people the chance to experience their period as something that doesn't put such a burden... um, on their lives, like, what am I going to do for the next three, four days? I'm going to bleed through my vagina. How do I manage this? You know, when I can go to school, I can go to work, I can look after my family, whatever I want to do. So that's, that's what we want. We want everyone to have a dignified period in a way that if, if you do want to, to be, you know, dry and clean, like most of us want to do every day of the month, we want to give you a tool that is going to allow you to feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you going to feel fresh and clean? But it goes a bit beyond that because I also want to say I don't think there is anything dirty about period blood. I really hate this thing about scented soap for your intimate areas, scented mm-hmm. tampons, scented tops, uh, pads. Sorry. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with periods. There's nothing yeah. wrong with periods. And I think that's also part, having a dignified period is knowing you have nothing to be ashamed about. Mm-hmm. That all this thing about periods being smelly and dirty and, and those things are, are just not true. There are misogynistic taboos to make mm-hmm. yeah. women feel shit about themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having a dignified period entails both having the hardware, so to speak, to manage it, but also um, offering information and and mentorship and support so anyone that is menstruating knows there's nothing wrong with them and they'll mm-hmm. have to put up with this kind of ideas about how they're going to be moody and dirty and smelly for a few days yeah. a month. I mean with that a smart way of trying to keep women in their place to tell mm-hmm. them they are like eek three days a month yeah, it's like telling women they're defective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also it's like, it's really, because it's this obsession about women's sex lives and whether they want to be mothers or not, and fertility, you know, this is so, so linked. You know? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you guys had so many discussions about why is it such a big issue if a woman wants to have kids or not. Mm-hmm. Men don't have that pressure on them. And then if she does have them, what says about her to become a mummy? What it says if she decides not to or she can't? And this, this obsession, because I guess the moment that us, that we could choose whether, to, whether we wanted to have kids or how many, the whole society changed. Like suddenly we could go to work, we could have sex for fun, and, and the whole thing changed. So there's such a there's an obsession, I think, with women's reproductive health choices mm-hmm. and sex lives and so on. So on the one hand, you're saying it's so amazing and such a miracle that women can have babies and it's so important, you should have babies. But then the same biological function that allows you to have babies is dirty and disgusting. Mm-hmm. And what? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is going on here? And yeah, I don't think guys, men um, have that pressure on them. And, mm-hmm. and a dignified period is, as I said, having the products to manage the physical aspect of your period, but also destroying these taboos that just held us back because they yeah. are so telling you your body is disgusting. Yep. That is really deep. It was really deep, I think. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, a vagina does not need to smell like pineapples. It does not need to smell like flowers. It does not need to smell... Like, (laughs) it should smell like a vagina. The end. Mm -hmm. And your period should smell like your period. Yeah. And in that sense, what you do is so feminist. It's it's about choice. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, you want to free bleed? You do your thing, boo. Like, I don't care. But the, you have the option. You yeah. could, It's the same as like I can have kids and stay at home or I can go to work and do my thing yeah. or I can do both. Like yeah. it, the point of feminism isn't that you have to do one thing. Mm-hmm. It's that you yeah. have options. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And also how many like penis soaps are there to oh make my a God. penis smell different? Not, they're like, not obsessed. I'm not aware of any. Yeah, <laughs> so, they're not obsessed no. with their balls smelling good. No. Like, I, and, and also those it's don't, probably not good those, for you. Those either. smell very specific. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's, it is definitely a double standard. Um, but going into more the some of the advocacy that you all do at Ruby Cup, mm-hmm. could you first, just for anyone listening who maybe doesn't know, tell us what period poverty is? I feel like we've like danced around it, but just could you give us that yeah. like hard definition? Period poverty is lack of access to safe period products and sound information about menstruation. Mm. I talk about safe period products because what many of the um, schoolgirls I've worked with uh, do, for example, is they will use like um, old newspapers 
or uh, leaves from a tree or uh, rocks um, to kind of put in their panties yeah. to kind of try to manage the flow of their period. That's not safe. Mm-hmm. That's not safe. Yeah. Um, so having access to safe period products, when, when you don't have access to that, you are facing period poverty. Yeah. And then when you don't have access to sound information, it means that A, you may, um, I mean, you're, you're going... I mean, you're going to feel bad about yourself because as I said, like period taboo basically tells people that menstruate that they are something is something shameful and dirty and smelly is happening in their genital area every month. I mean, what the hell is that about? Mm -hmm. So you need to explain uh, people what is a period. I mean, the menstrual cycle is not your period. You are on your menstrual cycle every day of the month. Mm -hmm. It just manifests its time of the cycle in different ways and very often um, learning about your menstrual cycle means learning about your reproductive health and that can be a really powerful tool to make better choices for yourself an example when we talk about uh, using the calendar method as a contraceptive Mm -hmm. i mean no shade everyone uses whatever they want but it is not safe to use if you don't know how your menstrual cycle works. Yep. Yeah. And it's generally not too safe to use, but to be used by teenage people whose cycles are still quite irregular. And you know, there are so many ands and ifs here. So very often when we talk, especially to younger people about their menstrual cycle, they have lots of assumptions and wrong information about what happens and how it might affect their reproductive health choices. So so giving information, this is what happens. Yeah, you do ovulate only one day a month, but a sperm can live in your body for like five to six days. Mm-hmm. Or that day is not a given, usually. It's, no, it's never a given unless you test. And so to give all this information gives the person receiving products and knowledge to manage their menstruation and menstrual cycle in the way that works best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing, like I, my husband laughs when I say this, but I don't think I suffer from very bad PMS. <laughs> I don't think I do. He says, ha ha. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but I do know that I don't get like very depressed. For example, some of my friends, they do feel extremely low when they have PMS. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just go around feeling super low a few days a month, the more information you have, uh, what are those symptoms? Are they something that can be helped with your doctor's help? When is it going to happen? And so on. It's super important. It can really improve your quality of life to have that information as a, as a tool to manage your life and and your body really. And I feel like that's like when I think of period poverty, I tend to think of just access to period products, but that information Mm. piece is Mm -hmm. so important Mm -hmm. and making sure that women are educated about their, their menstrual cycle. Like I, we've seen disparities of that here in the U S of, of just not understanding what a menstrual cycle even is as your, Mm. your, roughly monthly hormone cycle and and not understanding the difference between that and a period or how your different hormone levels throughout that time affect 
how you're going to feel and how you're going to be able to exercise or work or function throughout the day in general. Uh, so that's super important. I also want to touch on the the reasons behind period poverty um, and like why people who menstruate may not have access to menstrual products. Mm. Uh, I assume that obviously finances would be one big piece, uh, but could yeah. you elaborate why is it that period poverty is a thing? Yeah, well, I think um, globally speaking, um, girls and women have a huge lack of access to money, mm -hmm. to hard cash. Mm. Yeah. In many societies is um, the man in the house, the husband who manages all the finances. Yeah. And he is the one deciding where the money goes. And then the woman, the mother, I'm talking in a very traditional sense of the family, of the yeah. family structure doesn't have access to that so she cannot choose what the money is spent on uh same for uh younger school girls they don't have access to any money and unfortunately still in many society societies their needs or girls are seen as less important compared to the needs of boys like for example something we observed um in kenya is that families with limited funds will always put the schooling of the sons as a priority over the schooling of the girls mm -hmm. yeah. because it was considered more important, even though it's a very irrational decision because I'm talking again on a very traditional model. I know this is not what happens all over the world, but in a part of the world where I saw the period of poverty is that basically when the children grew up, usually because of societal pressure, it will be the daughter looking after her parents. So it was like, you should make sure your daughter is making money because she's going to be looking after you. Yeah. <laughs> because your son is going to go to marry someone else and he's not going to be looking after you. But mm. anyway, in terms of like how our our brain works, no? So uh, then if the daughter was missing or is missing a school because she doesn't want to go to school on her period, because she doesn't want to be like soiling her school uniform, then that's not seen as a big tragedy because her education is not seen as a, you know, as a, as a priority anyway. And mm -hmm. this is an issue. But basically is, is that, is that um, lack of access to money from for many girls and women. Mm -hmm. And it's also the fact that I think for many of them, asking for money for pets means talking about menstruation, and that's very embarrassing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, they will find it easier to ask money for a new school uniform or books or food or drink, but asking money for pets is seen as quite embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But basically, I think very shortly I'll say the needs of girls and women, people with periods are usually not prioritized. So, for example, it's been quite, like, I'm talking about a pink tax in the last few years. I think, I think it was actually in Spain. They think now they have lowered the tax for uh, period products, but they think like five or seven years ago, like period products carried more tax than Viagra. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or with shaving razors. Like, it was like, oh, no one thought about it. Uh, so many um, food banks have been saying for years that we also need to appeal for sanitary, sanitary, I hate that word, for period products. 
not only for food and, and soap and nappies for babies, like mm-hmm. these people are menstruating every month and they don't have any money. So we also need to talk about this. So I think it's, uh, it's misogyny and it's in a way when, uh, when something's not talked about, it's not addressed either. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And that's actually such a good point because it really feels like it's so layered, but I think the fact that periods are expected to be invisible is a part of what yes. causes us to not like acknowledge or put resources towards it at all is like just the the default expectation that when someone's on their period, it is not acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think you put that so well. Periods are expected to be invisible. So they are literally invisible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we have, you know, also during, during the pandemic, so many families that maybe, you know, they were working in certain jobs, they fell in hard times, so they couldn't go to work and so on. And then, you know, I, I spoke to so many um, organizations in my neighborhood here in Barcelona that we were collecting food and nappies, and, and I asked them about period pros, and they were like, oh, yeah, I, I guess we need to have those. I'm not blaming those individuals. They were in a fantastic job. I'm, I'm not yeah. throwing any shade at them. It's not them. It's a society where we, of course, think about babies needing nappies or, or children needing soap to wash themselves, but we don't think about people with periods having to manage their period blood every month. They're a result of that societal stigma, right? Like the people not considering that, people who are trying mm-hmm. to do good and to help people. Hmm. It, that becomes a, a last thought because as a whole, we've chosen to make periods we just invisible. don't acknowledge, yeah. Well, and then the implications of that, of not having access to period products or period um, information or just even like menstrual cycle information results hmm. in in what? Girls missing out on school, not being able to work full-time potentially. Have, like yeah. what are some of like the – the harms that that causes like long-term, like with the ripple effects of period poverty. Well, I think um, the the missing a school issue has been documented so widely. Um, I think it's, and it's so funny because if I remember this correctly, um, it was a very similar statistic in the UK and in, I think it's Africa in this study, which I was a bit, surprised about because it's a continent you know there are many different countries in there but something like one in ten girls basically miss school because they can't afford period product Mm. and this is obviously a very clear bad outcome and well but then it's it's quite i don't think there is enough research on this but then think about this if you are if you are living in a rural area in a lower income setting and you don't know your body. And for example, I've, go, I've gone to workshops with girls that were like 14, 15, 16, where they'll say, hello, hi, my name is so-and-so. I have a friend, the famous friend, <laughs> whose boyfriend have, has told her that if she uh, drinks a very cold Coca-Cola as her having sex, she won't get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and no. So on, and so on and so on. Yeah. So wow. you don't talk about periods, you don't talk about reproductive health, mm-hmm. about birth control. So w- when, you, when you are living in this place where your body is this kind of shameful place because you are have menstruation and boys want to be with you and it's your job to stop them from being with you. Uh, you know, like all, all this situation, you end up with girls not being able to go to school because 
they have their period, very often for them being in school is the safest place to be. Then if you don't have information on how their body works, and also, you know, if you start, you're in a school and you start missing three days a month and then you fall behind, 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 they end up not being super motivated to go to a school. So then maybe they end up having um, unsafe sex and then they get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when they're too young to make a kind of choice, uh, they don't uh, continue studying so they cannot access jobs that pay more money. Uh, if they cannot control how many kids they have, they, it's going to be very hard for them to have any financial independence. Like it's all, it's all a role. But I think that for me is that not being able to manage your period in itself is a bad outcome, mm-hmm. and being able to have a dignified period in itself is a good outcome. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. lack of access to education, not going to work. Like for example, now we are working with different organizations um, in Malawi, one of them, and in Kenya, where big companies employ many women, you know, like collecting tea or food packing and similar, they are doing menstrual well-being programs at work because they see menstruation shame as something that's stopping women from thriving at work. Mm -hmm. Like we want more women supervisors, more women managers in this place where so many women work. So it's it's, it's a challenge in many ways. And I think it stops many women and girls um, and anyone with periods um, to reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. But I think in itself, it's not good. I mean, in itself yeah. is bad. You have that stress every month, that shame, feeling humiliated. Like I remember talking to a girl and this always brings me to tears. It's like, she was like 12 or 13. And she was telling me like, you know, when you are, you're on the bus and uh, and your pad falls to the floor and everyone sees. Mm. And I couldn't really understand. I was like, what do you mean your pad falls to the floor? I didn't get it. And then I was like, well, I understand. And then, and then I asked her teacher and she said, these girls, because they don't have any money for pads, when they have a pad, they wear it until the glue of the back of the pad is completely gone. Wow. So that's why the pad falls to the floor in public. And it's like... A horrendous thing to happen to anyone, let alone mm-hmm. a thirteen-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow! I mean, to have to have to go through that is just not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you know, if 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 having access to dignified products also means you, you know, you go to school more often and you and you study for longer and you choose to have a kid when you want to have a kid, which is probably not going to be when you are fifteen. And so on and so on. Fantastic. But in itself, it's just so, it's so dire that people have to go through that. And it's so unnecessary as well. Mm, yeah. It's yeah. unnecessary. It's yeah. unnecessary suffering. Yes. Definitely. So, Amaya, obviously we here are big fans of menstrual cups. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've made that pretty clear. Um, <laughs> for anyone who maybe doesn't know, a menstrual cup is a reusable like silicone, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Silicone cup that you use to manage your period. It fills up with your period blood and you're able to empty it and reuse it over and over again um, mm-hmm. while you're on your period. Uh, I'm curious if you could give us maybe some misconceptions people might have around menstrual cups uh, mm-hmm. and then also why use a menstrual cup instead of a pad or a tampon 
Okay, this is such a good question because I'm going to be completely honest with you, okay? Like about six months before I joined RubyCup, I had switched to organic tampons because mm. the traditional ones didn't work so well for me. But I was with my mother-in-law, who is Swedish, in a shop in London. And she said, you should switch to a menstrual cup. And I was like, no. like, uh, like <laughs> And I don't see why I had a... Re- I don't know. I, it, it didn't even... It was like... It was like instinctive in the world, like my worst brain was telling me, oh, touching your blood, seeing your blood there as if, I mean, all respect to tampons and tampons user, but like putting a wad of cotton up your vagina is not particularly the most pleasant thing either. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Also, I know. And then also because it's a bit more expensive, you know, you are used to spending like three pounds, five dollars, whatever a month. And then suddenly when you see like 25, you're like, oh, what if it doesn't work? So I had those preconceptions. I was a bit like, how do you change it? Oh. So yeah. yeah, but then like, then I moved to Nairobi and I met the Ruby Cup founders, fell in love and I started using my menstrual cup. And now I, I can't imagine using anything else, but you know, mm-hmm. anyway, misconceptions. One is that, and this is taboo related. People are like to be so close to your period you know, because basically mm. when you use a pad or a tampon, especially use a tampon with applicators, you don't have to touch yeah. any blood. You barely touch your own vagina. Mm-hmm. Whereas to insert a cap and remove a cap, you have to get close to, to your vagina and your blood. And then you really see how much you've blood. I mean, you see, yeah. like, do you have any, how do you say, um, those like thicker blobs of mm-hmm. oh, clots? Yeah, oh, yeah so you get really close to it and i think this puts many people off and guys i understand i was that person mm-hmm. but it is so empowering mm-hmm. you realize it's just blood you realize yeah. it's just blood it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't smell it does not smell disgusting it smells a bit coppery like blood does mm-hmm. uh, you are not going to have like a Texas massacre. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a misconception. It's going to be disgusting. It's not disgusting. It's great to get to know your body so well. Yes. B, it's going to be messy. It's not messy. It's going to take most people two, three cycles to get a hang of it. Yeah. And I always say, you know, don't go camping in the wild the first time you use it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But, you know... Yeah. Uh, and now, like, I mean, now it's been 10 years, but now for years, especially when I was in, in, in Kenya, in rural areas, you know, the programs, I could empty my cup in a latrine in the dark and reinsert, no issue. So totally. you do get used to it and it's so comfy in that respect, not carrying like lots of wraps and plastic around. So that's one thing. It's not disgusting. You learn how to use it and then there is no blood everywhere in kind of situation. Um, what else? I think people are a bit yeah, disgusting that, um, you don't feel it because I think when people see the cup, mm. oh, I wish I had one here now, but it looks very big compared to a tampon. Sure. And I think until you see how you fold it to get it in your vagina, it can be like, what, how does that even work? <laughs> like, it seems like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I think until you see how it works and where it goes in your body, it can feel visually intimidating. Um, another thing that puts people off is they think it could get lost in your body. Mm. It can get lost in your body. Um, what else? And I think this is not, I don't think it's a misconception because as soon as you think about it, it doesn't make sense. But I think it's that visually you are in the 
feminine curl aisle. I yeah. hate it too. Like period <laughs> aisle. You're in the period aisle and you see two, three, four, five, six, seven dollars thirty. Mm-hmm. And then when you do the math, it's so much cheaper. You save so yes. much money. But I think if you are not if you haven't researched it when you first see it, maybe you don't know it's going to last you 10 years. Maybe you think it's also for, only for a month. So yeah. I, I think there are a few misconceptions. But the first one, I think, seriously, there's nothing disgusting about your body, about your vagina, about your period. And and it's just not it's just not dirty. I think that's such a good point. And I think so many women are, like, including myself, I, I had the exact <laughs> same reaction that you did when I first heard about a menstrual cup. <laughs> I was like, no way. That sounds like complicated and messy and like I don't want to get all up in my own business down there that's so common I think that women don't feel connected or kind of distance themselves from Mm -hmm. their body I mean especially in relation to like the conversation we've already had about like stigmas around what you know around periods and it's smelly and it's you know dirty and all those things and once you kind of are able to get past some of those things, or even the menstrual cup can help you get past some of those things. And just learning to be more connected with your your body and your cycle as a whole. And I think that's so valuable. I was one of them who had like never looked at my vagina until I like got married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. <laughs> and then like I'm trying to figure out like all of these different things. And it's like, have you ever looked down there? And there's so many women that just have, they don't even know what their vulva looks like. Yeah. 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 And it's so empowering to yes. get to know it. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I actually had an experience that makes me feel emotional recently where I got a pap smear and uh, the gynecologist asked if I wanted to see, like if I wanted to see my cervix. And I was like, yeah, I've never seen that before, really. And so she had like the speculum in me. She gave me a mirror and she like showed me how to see it. And like, I literally was like holding the mirror and was like enamored with my cervix. I was so excited. And like, and I told so many people about it because I was just like, this is amazing that I got to see this. And it also helps you realize you do have room for a menstrual cup in there for sure. You definitely have room. Um, You do, yeah. Yes, but you don't have an understanding of just like how your body works, um, especially when it comes to your reproductive organs. And um, it's just... It is so empowering to to get to know yourself uh, in that way Absolutely. and to understand. There is a, an episode on Orange is the New Black. Oh, no. I also thought okay. about that because you mentioned prison. And there is, uh, there is uh, it's, I think it's maybe season before last or something, like someone tells Tasty, I think she's a favorite character, that she has like three holes. And she's like, what? Like, <laughs> no, I don't. Yes, you do. Yeah. yeah. And she goes to the mirror. She goes to the bathroom. She's completely like, what? This, this, no. Yeah. She goes to the bathroom and she takes a mirror out and she and she looks and she's like, what? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, that's thing. And I don't know. Yeah. Get, getting to know your body and, um, and yeah, just uh, get, get close to it. Yeah. For me, for example, I thought I bled so much more than I did because with the cup, it's like it collects the yeah. period blood instead of absorbing it. So what looked like loads of blood in a soaked tampon or soaked pad, actually when you put it in a in a in a glass, so mm-hmm. to speak, in a cup, mm-hmm. you see it's not it's not as much. Or I know you see how it changes color, if you have clothes. And uh, I just love that. And I guess most nowadays most people travel I mean I am like a massive 
small town country bumpkin. I, I only got on a plane when I was like 20. But then mm. most young people now that are traveling and interrailing and going on festivals and volunteering abroad for a very young age. And you don't want to be brought down that adventure trying to find mm-hmm. your tampons or paths of choice in some remote area. How yeah. do you dispose of them? Like just having something small, you put in your handbag and you are done. You have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's so empowering. I don't know if you guys have this experience, but like every time without fail on my period, when I'm emptying out my cup, I've had my Ruby cup for almost like nine years now. Um, so <laughs> I was an early adopter and I literally like feel so much wonder for my body. Like every time I'm like, wow, look at this. Like, this is crazy and amazing. And like, it's like, I have, um, I'm one of those that people that bleed heavier and have more painful periods. But even in the midst of all of that, I'm like, wow, this is like astounding to me. And I think when we're able to get to that place, it's like we get into that like love and enjoyment and support of our bodies versus like feeling that gross, that shame, that like, this is dirty. And I will always, always advocate for having a menstrual cup when you're at the beach. Yes. Uh, there is nothing better. Like, I felt so free to finally mm-hmm. just enjoy the water as soon as I got a menstrual cup because it was always so complicated, like, before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, you get yeah. in the pool and you swim and then you have to, like, run to the bathroom and, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It was just a lot, a big mess. Yeah. I mean, I remember <laughs> when I was learning how to use tampons, which were really hard for me at first when yeah. I was like a teenager, mm. I had a lot of trouble with tampons because with any of these products, I think there's a learning curve. I remember I had to put a tampon in because I was going swimming and I had maybe used a tampon once before and I didn't have it in all the way and it soaked up all the water and then popped out in the pool. <laughs> and it was so embarrassing, but it's like, you avoid that with a menstrual cup. Like that's yeah. not even a risk. It's really. not you just yeah. go in the water, you swim, you have a good time, yeah, and you don't even worry about yeah, it. It's you amazing. Could, you could yeah. even dare to wear a white swimsuit you if could. you wanted you to. Really could. Like, yeah, all yeah. bets are off at this point mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. For sure, game changer. It's amazing. It's so uh, interesting you said that about the learning curve of uh, learning to use a, a tampon because it was also not super easy for me to get to use tampons. Yeah, and I, that's what I also tell people that are a bit afraid of using a menstrual cup. But, you know, you probably needed some time to get used to tampons if you use yeah. them. So it's, it's the same. And that's one thing that puts it like into perspective for me as well, because I had trouble mm-hmm. when I first used a menstrual cup. I found it yeah. really painful. And I think I was just really tensed up because I was so stressed about mm-hmm. trying to yep. use it. Yeah. Um, and I was like texting my friend who had turned me on to them. And I was like, this is awful. Why are we doing this? <laughs> um, but yeah. now I'm a diehard mm-hmm. menstrual cup user. So yeah, the same thing. And my husband was like, maybe you should just wait until your next cycle. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember the first time I tried this, like, I think we've done enough. Yeah. Let's just wait. Yeah. You can yeah. try it again next month. Yeah. yeah. And totally. I was like, it's always okay. next month. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was the same. I thought I basically thought in my head, oh, this is like a tampon. So I kind of like rummed it. Right oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then instead of like punching the base to break the seal, I was like, I, just I basically it. thought uh. the theme was was the string of the tampons. So I was like, I called and and yeah. I was so stressed and like sweaty and oh. and yes. then like and then finally I read instructions. <laughs> well, then I'm like, yeah, then oh, I have to do this. And then it was it was okay. From then on, it became much easier. Yeah. But that's also why 
for us it's so important to deliver a workshop and 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 give information orally yeah. and written to our users in areas where they cannot just you know put that laptop out and google yeah. something on youtube so it's very important to have that that information from the start and then to have someone around them that can help them but yeah it's yeah um, yeah Definitely. The first the first month it has is is spicy with yeah. it's spicy that's yeah. a good way to describe it yeah yeah, yeah. but then after that it is yeah. just so amazing i mean yeah. i've already said this it's so empowering yeah. and so freeing yeah. to feel like your your period is so taken care of in yeah. a way that yeah. it never was yeah. with a tampon or with a pad yeah it is you, there's so much less worry and so much less concern that's one thing i always tell people when they're yeah. asking about menstrual cups is it is great because I don't have to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to be worried. I have mine in my backpack at all times. So whenever I start my period, I am ready to go. And it, yeah. it's and it, it's just amazing. It's revolutionary. It <laughs> I'm actually wearing yeah. one right now. And Ooh, amazing. Me too. Me too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> period sisters. Uh, yes. Yeah. I was thinking about today. I was at this uh, kid's birthday party and... I, I had not even thought about it, but we we're like in a, in a playground and I didn't have to think about going and changing my tampon or my yeah. pad the whole time. And if yeah. I would have had to empty my cup, which I didn't need to, I wouldn't have had to go to my back, take my tampons or my pads, yeah. uh, go somewhere, make sure you have somewhere to dispose all that plastic. I mean, like... Yeah. It's just something you don't have to think about anymore. And it's so liberating. It mm-hmm. really is. To pivot slightly, could you also speak briefly to just the environmental impact of using a menstrual cup over a tampon or a pad? Most traditional period products are, they're very polluting to the environment. Like, mm-hmm. um the first tampon you ever used still exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is like 500 years to disappear um most pads there there are some uh some compostable pads in the market now but most like 99 percent of pads have plastic they take forever to um to disappear they have to stay in our seas and oceans and forests for a really long time um we are going to use uh, a personal menstruates are going to use there are different calculations here but if you think around 10,000 products is is quite 10,000 12,000 wow. products is quite accurate so I mean all that all that going into our oceans yeah and um, that's from one that person is, is that right yeah, 10,000 yeah, yeah, products exactly. per person yeah. wow yeah yeah i mean think of, depends on you on your uh, flow and so on, but that's going to be an totally. average, um, an average for someone menstruating from the age of 14 to 50, more or less. And it's not only the product, like the, the tampon itself or the pie, it's also the wrapper, the packaging, like it is, mm-hmm. this is really, really polluting. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to like, I always try to be careful talking about this. I don't want to shame anyone for using whatever works for them. Yeah. Um, but I would like, us to just know or our options maybe the cup is not for you but there are some fantastic washable pads in the market at the moment yeah you can use those uh there are tampons that i mean for example if you use an applicator do you need an applicator every mm-hmm. time and if you do need an applicator like it's fine but there are some reusable ones in the market mm. Period cups are the most sustainable this, this is not me saying this but i mean one cup for 10 years is like, yeah 
mm-hmm. is, is the most sustainable option. But I don't know, like, once again, I don't want to shame anyone for using whatever works for them. I also know sometimes it's like, you know, financial issue and so on, but just like all this plastic is going mm-hmm. to our oceans and there are alternatives now that we can look into to stop that from happening. The, the, is the production process, is the wrapping, is the applicator, is the actual product, all that doesn't disappear for hundreds of years, each of them. So think if you use like I don't know, 15, 20 items every month, 12 times a year for 40 years or 35 years, it's, it's a huge impact on the, yeah. on the environment. Yeah, I think it's important to not like shame the idea of a tampon or a pad because no. I think that you know, they walked so menstrual cups could run, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it reminds me a lot of the the issue of the birth control pill, right? The birth control pill absolutely has all of these side effects for women. It can affect fertility. Mm-hmm. It sets your hormones out of whack, but it also has yeah. empowered women to have the choice of whether or not they want to start a family. Exactly. And um, that's amazing. But we're also working towards better solutions on how to you know, mm. how to continue to liberate women. Uh, similarly, Absolutely. tampons and pads enable women to manage their periods in a way that they couldn't before. But a menstrual cup or a menstrual disc or, you know, any of yeah. the reusable options, a period underwear, they mm-hmm. enable women to do that to the next level. You get to level up the empowerment. <laughs> exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to throw uh, shade on tampons or pads or anything. It's as you said, like, I mean, before, before, uh, tampons and pads the way we know them like yeah. girls and women were tied at home yeah <laughs> very shortly in in a much more severe way it's just that mm-hmm. way well, like the, the peel is i think it's a great example i always get a bit defensive when people criticize the peel because yes when i did take it i went crazy mm-hmm. so i i know it has side effects yeah long term as well like i will then take the peel again but i still feel it changed it changed the lives of so many women. We yeah. are still, like, I don't know, like, if my my grandmother could not choose how many kids she had, yeah. my mom could. I am a product of a household where they could choose to have three kids and not 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, my, my grandparents lived in massive poverty because they were, like, a, I, I want to say, like, seven, seven, eight, nine kids. Like, yeah. uh, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. So, yeah, no no shade to any product, but, but think about it. And also think, I know, you know, there are so many companies now doing good things, like, you know, you have organic tampons, you have reusable applicators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very curious about the sponge, you know, the sea sponge. Yes. If you like tampons. I've never used it. I, I, it's uh, uh, something I have to do. So it's like, I think it's also kind of linked to shame. If you don't want to mm-hmm. talk or think about your periods, you're going to go to the to the aisle in the supermarket and grab what you always did. Why don't you learn what else is there and, and how it may work for you? And I know sometimes it's like, oh, but those are so much more expensive. Well, maybe some are, but maybe not so much. I mean, there are many solutions that are better for the planet and not as pricey as they used to be. It's true that a few years ago, mm-hmm. organic tampons were super expensive. And, you know, like cap companies, there are many prices. There's all discounts going around. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I think it's worth exploring that because uh, 
not to get all gloom and doom, but I think we all know the climate change situation is not looking great. So anything yeah. we can do to help is going to be a good thing. No shame, no telling anyone off, just like an observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Amaya, so you went yeah. from begging to work for free. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Due to the incredible mission of Ruby Cup, which I will say, you are the only menstrual cup company that at least I know of. There could be others out there that automatically donate one with every purchase. So 10 out of 10 would yeah. recommend. To now, you are the CEO of yeah. this amazing company that's making an incredible positive impact like all around for menstruators everywhere, for the environment, for advocacy of a dignified period. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about the challenges and benefits of being a female CEO? Okay, let's start with um, the things I like. I think they're really good about being a female CEO. I mean, is that I find the female leadership community is so supportive. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's also because I, I I deal, I network, I talk mainly to other period companies. When you go to events, I'm sure you heard of Women Deliver. It's an amazing conference every few years. Um, and it's just so nice. Like People are so supportive and, and they connect you to other people and they give you advice. And there are especially... I don't know, there are some CEOs, um, I'm 42 myself, and there are some CEOs that are like maybe in their 50s or early 60s, and the way they are supporting us, the ones that, you know, like volunteered 10 years ago, CEO now is amazing, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, for me, it's a point of of pride in in the way that generally it's like globally, I think I've been researching these figures for this interview and it was really hard to get to a figure but i think that less than 10 percent of the ceos globally are women mm-hmm. and you see so many organizations where you have many many women working there and they get to middle management or maybe they get to a bit of leadership but to really get to a more decision making position is really really hard for a number of reasons so i think when you get to be there um, there is a lot of support amongst other women in the same situation. You you can try and do things differently. I'm not saying that men and women are different, but what I'm saying is that we have been, generally speaking, socialized to manage things differently. Mm-hmm. I don't think I am biologically, intrinsically different to my male counterpart, but I have he has been socialized to Definitely. use certain skills mm-hmm. and I have been socialized to use different skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you need in business, in life, is a balance. Mm-hmm. So the more you have a 50-50 for everything, for you know, not only for, for sex and gender, but for religion, for class, for for everything is better. The more the mix, the more people are included. So I think when you have when you're a female CEO, you see you can use more feminine skills or, or ways of working about empathy, about collaboration, about teamwork, and that makes the workplace um, develop in a different way, which mm. I think is more 
it works better with most people. I know many men want this change as well, that most humans in general are really fed up of the aggressive business environment, the dog-eat-dog culture. But they think as a woman, you have been better equipped in your life to know how to implement those and to support each other and so on. I don't believe that women are bitches to other women, generally speaking. I have never seen that. I've never encountered that. Of course, it's going to happen sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I think generally uh, women in leadership and women leading together works for good things. And Mm -hmm. obviously I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud of increasing that that percentage up to have more women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's great. And I get to work with some amazing women. I'm so like, I mean, it's, it's really amazing. In terms of challenges, I am very lucky because the industry I work in is so feminine in general mm-hmm. that I don't get much of all the aggro, for lack of a better word, so yeah. many other women get. What I seen when I was working in other places and what I see amongst my friends, you know, my sister, my friends a lot, is that as a female leader, you have to... You have to always walk this line. If you are too nice, too friendly, they won't take you seriously. If you are a bit harsh and you have it of a bitch resting face, then you're a bitch. It's like there is like you're supposed to find this magical formula where you are not too soft and you are not too harsh and try to never do anything so they can say, you know, women. Mm. And I, I find that most of my friends working in leadership because most of women in leadership are surrounded by men. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've all seen these pictures, like the board of so-and-so Fortune 500 company, and it's like one woman. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. how lonely, how lonely. Mm-hmm. If it's one every 10, how lonely to have to, to, to be the only one representing your, your sex or your gender. So I think it's a massive challenge and also what puts many women off because I mean, no one wants to go to work and feel like other all the time. And I think that's the thing. I think in leadership, the woman is seen as other. Mm-hmm. The same as the black person or the wheelchair user or the person who is neurodivergent, you are other. And trying to make your space there is really tough. And most people just want to go to work and enjoy themselves. They don't want to go to war every day. So mm-hmm. I think it's really hard. And then the whole thing about, you know, I don't know if, if we have time to get into this, but family, like... We all know that if you say, oh, I'm going to be into late tomorrow because I have to take my kid to the doctor, for example, that carries a completely different weight to what happens when a man does that. Mm-hmm. The way you have to, it's nearly like your family also has to become impossible. You have to work as if you're not a mother and you have to mother as if you didn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that because I work for a really great company and it's really, yeah. it's really life, not even family, life-friendly, but I think um, female CEOs, women in leadership face this all the time. So I would say probably the biggest challenge is loneliness, feeling othered, and then feeling that so many parts of your life have to become invisible so your authority is not questioned. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I feel like we see so often where um, a father does the those basic tasks like maybe choosing to bring their child to school one morning or needing to go to the doctors with them and take some time off of work uh as going above and beyond as a father but then when a woman does it it's seen as 
sort of a burden on their workplace. Yeah. And uh, which is it's ridiculous because they're doing the same thing uh, mm-hmm. when it's not expected of the father to do that. And so they're they're an exceptional father for doing it. But a woman is expected to do it and is therefore a mediocre employee for doing it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I there is this really amazing podcast. It's in the Spanish, but maybe you can give it a listen anyways. <laughs> but the, the presenter was saying, you know, are you struggling to be a good mother? Is that is, is that a struggle? Yes, aim to be a fantastic father. It's much easier. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really good. Well. <laughs> there you go. And then she gave some examples like, yeah, it's impossible to, to work and pay your child from school every day. Screw that. Just go on their birthday with a big ice cream and you'll be a fantastic dad. Like, somebody, I was like, it's yeah. so it is. And I don't want to have a go at individuals because I think humans in general are good. Mm-hmm. Like, I really don't think, oh, men suck or anything. It's not, it's not about that. But it is, it is this thing that I feel that that women have it so hard in their respect when it comes to, yeah. to being the CEO or being in leadership or entrepreneurs as well. I mean, it's really hard. Um, yeah, and it, and it can be very lonely to feel so othered all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to, we have to get more women mm-hmm. as yeah. CEOs and leadership and and, you know, calling the shots so things balance out and they are more equal. Mm-hmm. We actually, we recorded a really fun podcast last weekend about imposter syndrome. And we're talking about the concept of like, it is the woman the problem or is the problem like the system in the first place? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, sometimes I think when I see women up at the top and they're like the only one amongst a bunch of men, it's like, Yes, like, that's amazing. We need women like that to set the stage and um, make us believe that it's possible. But also there is still the reality of having to play the game in order to get there, right? And so, like, I think the more women that start their own companies, that create their own work environments and that, like, build from the ground up outside of maybe the patriarchal norm business structure that we are, like, accustomed to – the more we'll see equity for women increase. Because in some ways, like, yes, in a male-dominated field, you can be successful, but you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices in terms of who you are and how you, like, interact with family and how you interact with work and all of those things when maybe the system in the first place was run yeah yeah men it's like we forget about them i do often but like the whole thing for example with parental leave and so on we talk about getting more maternal leave parental leave but we don't talk so much about how heartbreaking it must be for a guy to go back to work after two weeks leaving their baby at home for 10 hours a day yeah like it's like they already had to the sacrifice and I think that right. in the dinosaur brain maybe we have forgotten but it's like maybe it's, I think you're completely right maybe it's maybe our work culture is just not life and family friendly because and yeah. family and hobbies and your passions and I, I think that's super interesting. Um, I, when it comes to imposter syndrome, I read something very interesting a couple of weeks ago, which was about how women, even when they don't have imposter syndrome, they say they do because they know that being an arrogant woman is a very bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are bombastic and you say, yeah, I feel pretty bombastic. Well, mm-hmm. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you say, no, you know, uh, you know, I'm a CEO, I run a charity, I have five kids, 
I volunteer, I have fight. It's like, oh, you know, I, I don't feel good enough. I like, that's what's expected from women. Like mm-hmm. we have to talk about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. as an issue. And I think it's so rightly put, is the system even working? Like yeah. maybe this is just not sustainable, but also about maybe it's okay for a woman to say, yeah, I think I'm pretty amazing. Yeah. A man would. I think I'm doing very well. Thank you for your compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. This has been such a great conversation and I wish we could chat forever. I want to uh, get us to uh, starting the closing of this, which leads with the question that we ask all of our guests, it's open to interpretation, yeah. is what does the phrase woman being mean to you, Amaya? The phrase or the amazing work you guys do? Oh. <laughs> oh, the phrase. <laughs> The phrase. (laughs) Okay. I think there is so much that society tells us that is wrong about being a woman. Mm. Once again, being the other, no, you are the one whose vagina smells, you have mood swings, you're temperamental, you're not good for math. Yeah. You are too weak to lead. Mm. How are the babies? How are your husband? How are the diet? How are the way you look? And for me, talking about woman being being a woman is is that moment of feeling rightness in you it's stop it's like all these voices that are around i think for 99.9 percent of us at different levels it's about all the things that you're not quite good at you're not shit enough slim enough smart enough social enough yeah uh, it's always something missing and for me woman being is when when and I think this is through community, and I'm going to throw the ball back at you guys because I think that's what you do your podcast. You create a community of a sisterhood, I'll say even, where people can talk and not feel judged mm-hmm. because sometimes, it's, especially as a woman, it's scary to express opinions and be bold because there's always someone telling you to pipe down. Mm. Or saying, oh, that thing you said, it wasn't quite correct. It was like reading Wikipedia, this and this. And you guys create this community where so many different aspects of the female experience come together in a supportive and safe way. And I think for me, woman being, that's what it is. It's when you, you come to that core and it's very often through your sisters and your friends and your mom and your aunt and your grandmother that you realize that you, you are good as you are. You don't have to upgrade you don't have to improve yourself you are good as you are and you're not going to know everything or do everything but you don't need to constantly try to improve yourself to be anything else than what you want to be you're not supposed to tick all the boxes of hot sexy pretty hardworking, good salary good mom good girlfriend you don't have yeah. to do that you are good as you are and for me that's really as i said i'm 42 43 and it is really this this is really blossoming in me now and I still say it and I'm a bit like oh someone is going to tell me to shut up but I just don't feel I have to do anything else I don't think Mm -hmm. I have to improve I don't think I need to lose weight I don't think I have to do more volunteer work and be a better mom and learn another language I, I think I'm good in my community of women and sisters and and just helping each other, supporting each other in the different parts of life, work and family and friends and self-growth. Um, for me, that's what it means. When you get to the core and you're like, yeah, this is right. Mm-hmm. I'm good here. I'm good here. Nothing is missing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Woman being, nothing is missing. That's wow. amazing. Nothing I love is that. missing. 
sharing. All good. I love that so much. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing. Um, And then before we let you go as well, would you have any resources that you would recommend for someone listening to this episode as it relates to how they can find you and Ruby Cup or um, how they can learn more about periods, menstrual cups, period poverty, etc.? Please check our website, www.rubycaps.com. And now I'm going to say, if you want to learn more about period equity, period poverty, um, how to make things more equal and more fair for all that those administrate, please check us out and please write to us. Uh, you can write to me, Amaya, A-M-A-I-A, at rubycap.com. There's a bunch of emails on our website, hello at rubycap, rubycurse, and so on. But please write to us and tell us what you think, um, how you feel about menstrual cups, how you feel about your period, how you feel about your body. Um, we, we love chatting mm-hmm. to everyone. Definitely check out rubycup. Send Amaya a letter. Let her Send know. Send me a letter. I promise, I promise I will reply. I love having pen pals. I love it. Aww. She's very responsive and fantastic. And um, so, and let her know how much you loved this episode. You can also find us on Instagram at Woman Being Podcast and on our website. Uh, womanbeingcommunity.com also tiktok at womanbeingpodcast and (laughs) if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoy woman being please leave us a review we're on apple Podcasts, spotify um let other people know how they might enjoy us that's a great way to get us out there if you want other people to hear this kind of content so thank you so much for being with us today emma kellyanne amaya thank you for having me this was amazing best saturday afternoon ever best saturday morning morning. (laughs) and um we will talk to you soon thanks woman beings goodbye